and welcome to Little Love Hearts, the podcast. Today is the last in the edition of Maternal Mental Health Awareness. We have been talking to professionals and mothers about their experiences with mental health um, through the journey to motherhood. And the theme for the Maternal Mental Health Awareness Month was Journey to Recovery. In today's podcast, I am talking to Holly from Holly Hop Hypnobirthing about her experience as a mother, uh, through pregnancy and as a hypnobirthing instructor. I hope you really enjoy the podcast and I will be back again soon. Um, good morning and welcome to Little Love Hearts, the podcast. Today I'm very excited to be joined by Holly from Hollyhock Hypnobirthing, all the way from the States today. So I'm super excited, my first international uh, podcast recording. Um, so so grateful for her for getting up um, early and getting herself organised to, to come on and chat with me. Um, so I'm so excited. Um, Holly is going to be talking to us today about um, anxiety in pregnancy um, and her experiences and um, what to do when things don't necessarily go to plan. Um, and Holly is a hypnobirthing teacher. So um, really excited to, to have this chat today. So Holly, um, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself and your business? Yes, that'd be great. Thank you so much for having me on. Um, as you said, we're on other sides of the world here. So this is great that we're having the chance to discuss all things uh, mental health awareness and anxiety and pregnancy. So um, as Nicola mentioned, my name is Holly. I am a hypnobirthing and mindful breastfeeding instructor located in Charleston, South Carolina in the United States. Um, I've been practicing hypnobirthing for almost a year now, um, focusing, like I said, specifically on the hypnobirthing using the Calm Birth School method, which is what I train with. And in the fall, I also added mindful breastfeeding because I felt that we wanted to really expand on for the mental health piece, not just while we're pregnant and in labor and birthing our babies, but also in the postpartum period and pretty much for an entire lifetime, as um, Nicola is going to talk about a lot in her podcast over the future of her <laughs> show here. So um, I'm just really excited to kind of share my experience um, with anxiety and pregnancy and let other birthing people know that they are not alone in this journey, that um, we all have struggles as new parents, as people going through pregnancy. And there are resources available and help that we can get if we need it. So, yeah, yeah I'm just excited to discuss this more with you. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much. Like I said, it is so, so lovely to to have you here and to, um, to hear not only about your, your personal journey, but also your professional journey as well. And that offering that you say in the postnatal period is so, so important. Um, and I think it's only having been a mum and been through it that you realize how important it is yeah, yeah. so um did you have a, a personal experience with um anxiety and pregnancy um yes I did um really looking back on my span of my life anxiety is probably something I have been dealing with since probably middle school high school didn't really know um to identify that as being anxiety it really revved up when I was at university, especially when I moved into my doctorate program, my actual, my full-time job. I'm a clinical pharmacist in the hospitals here in the United States. Um, so just the pressures of all of my academics 
was kind of what set me off. Those are my first times I had true panic attacks, um, you know, having to leave tests right in the middle of them because I just couldn't even function anymore. Um, difficulties breathing, having to go to the to see my um, primary care physician to seek out treatment. I wasn't quite sure what was happening with a racing heart and difficulty breathing and just a complete inability to calm myself down. Um, during that time, I did seek out help from the counseling services while I was in school and I was able to kind of work through my symptoms uh, without using medications at the time. Although I was in school for pharmacy and I know a lot about medications. <laughs> I still was trying to um, more holistically treat myself and knowing that that was an option in the background. Um, I kind of felt like I was on the journey to recovery. And then I became pregnant with my first son about a year and a half after um, graduating from all of my university studies. Obviously super excited about becoming a mom. It was something I had always dreamed about and me and my husband were super excited. I felt like I was ready and I knew what was coming, but maybe we all think that <laughs> <laughs> coming into it. And I did feel pretty prepared. My goal was to have um, an unmedicated birth if I was able to. That was kind of my plan going into it. And here in the States, um, hospital birth is a lot more common. We don't have as much <laughs> midwife-led services as you do in the UK and other places in the world. So my first thought was, I'm gonna have my baby at the hospital. So I started seeing an obstetrician there um, right from the very beginning and decided I'd take the um, prenatal classes that were offered directly through the hospital and thought that that would be enough to prepare me for all things pregnancy, labor and birth. Um, I did that probably about halfway through my second trimester or near the end of my second trimester, actually. And after I took the class, it actually made my anxiety worse. <laughs> I That's when it really started to get real that this baby was going to be coming, that I was going to have to be taking care of him day in and day out, that I was somehow going to have to birth this human out of my body. Um, a lot of my family members were like, it's fine. You know, we've all done it. You're just going to get the epidural or if you need a C-section, it's going to be fine. And obviously we're lucky we live in an age where we have these interventions available, but that wasn't very settling to me. Um, the <laughs> thought of an epidural and not being able to walk, um, have a catheter inserted, all those sorts of things just to me were very fearful. Um, that made my anxiety even worse, thinking about being almost like incapacitated in this like paralyzed kind of state, even though it meant I wasn't going to experience a lot of discomfort during the labor experience. So as I learned more about these different types of interventions that were available to me and what the standard of practice was at the hospital I was at, my anxiety just started going just through the roof. I started getting really scared about how I was going to do this. I was having a lot of trouble sleeping. Um, I uh, finally understood what like people talked about when they said they had like insomnia and like the inability to sleep. I could usually fall asleep because of basically exhaustion from working all day. <laughs> but then I would wake up, you know, two, three o'clock in the morning and my mind would just be 
racing. I would have a million and one thoughts and fears going through my mind about what was going to go wrong. How was I going to birth this baby? How was I going to take care of him? What if something went wrong at the hospital? You know, everything just felt completely out of control to me. I know we can't control our birthing process. We don't know exactly what's going to happen, but I didn't feel like I had any tools in my toolkit or my deck pocket or whatever we want to say to um, try to remedy these feelings that I was having. It was starting to seep into my work a little bit. I could tell that if I wasn't super, super busy at work, that any free second in my mind was going to this, this fear I had about birth. Mm -hmm. Um, Luckily, I didn't go into full panic attack where I couldn't breathe and had racing heart where I needed to go to the emergency room. But I could definitely tell that I was just on edge. My heart rate was definitely elevated. My blood pressure was starting to go up a little bit during some of my visits with my obstetrician. And like I said, I just felt scared (laughs) about the whole entire experience. I knew I needed to do something. Um, at the time I, we were in a newer place. I didn't have the resources as readily available to find maybe a therapist as I did when you're at university. They have some right at the schools that you're at, at least here in the States, Mm -hmm. just walk to an office and they will see you like pretty much same day. So I didn't have that opportunity and I didn't seek out professional help at that time. Looking back, that probably could have been quite beneficial for me. But Mm -hmm. instead, I decided to kind of take it into my own hands a little bit and start to research some things online. So I don't know if you want to transition right into ways I can help myself. It's, um, I mean, especially someone who's got um, a professional medical background as yourself. And, you know, A, you know, you were still struggling. And I think in some ways, it's, it just shows that it completely does and can affect anyone and everyone. It doesn't matter all walks of life and no matter how informed or how educated or, or aware, um, anxiety is something, you yeah. know, that can, like you said, can be so debilitating. Um, and I think it's in some ways, I think it's probably really reassuring to know, um, you know, as a sort of, as a lay person for want of a better word that, mm-hmm you know even with all the education and and knowledge that it's still something that can really impact your life um in so many ways um and like you mentioned at the outset the the physical um uh experiences of anxiety that you had like racing heart and obviously the the sleeplessness um uh, like the insomnia sort of thing as well as the the mental impacts and i think that's definitely something that i wasn't aware of um you know all of the things that I was my physical symptoms I put them down to something else Mm -hmm. I didn't think it was anything to do with anxiety at all um so it's really interesting that you also were experiencing those sort of parallel issues yeah um but but yeah and you um so yeah please please carry on and, and and tell us what you then did um yeah I'll tell you about the treatment but then I was also just thinking as you were talking you know kind of recapping up Um, I think we're moving into a paradigm, I guess, where mental health is more um, available, mental health Mm -hmm. services, people are recognizing it a lot more. Um, I feel 
I, at least for myself and, you know, no, no fault to my parents or my family, but mental health was not something they talked about, you know, when I was kind of telling my family that I felt like I was struggling, you know, they just said, oh, that's normal. Oh yeah, I know it'll be okay. And I know they weren't trying to be unsympathetic to my cause or, you know, not provide me with support. They were supporting me the best that they could. But I know that, Mm -hmm. you know, now that's something that I think is really important as I work with my hypnobirthing moms um, who might be telling me that they're experiencing these things and just making sure they feel really validated in their experience. Cause sometimes I just felt like I should just suck it up (laughs) and it's going to be fine and I'm going to make it through like everybody else. But I didn't want to come out on the other side of my birth feeling traumatized or just unsatisfied, unhappy, scared to move forward with my pregnancies. Mm. So I just had kind of thought about just kind of the societal views. And I know that's why you're focusing on this. So yeah, yeah. And I think it's, um, it is definitely a theme, um, particularly that I found that has runs through um, the discussions with people that have suffered with anxiety, both be it um, perinatal or just anxiety as, as a sort of part of their functioning everyday life. And there does seem to be a theme with this sort of high achieving, um, mm-hmm. wanting to do well, wanting to do, do the best, wanting to be perfect. Um, yes. And obviously we know that that's perfection is not a thing. It's mm-hmm. unattainable and all it does is make us unhappy, but they're definitely, and I, I guess, you know, the fact that doing a PhD and, you know, being so successful and then, you know, completing your studies, so completing your studies and then getting pregnant, it was like, everything was just going in in such a a linear almost perfect fashion that the pressure you put on yourself must have been immense to be perfect oh yeah 100 percent. I guess I didn't like I said I didn't realize I had anxiety at a younger age because I don't think I ever let myself slow down enough to Mm. even realize that was happening it was Mm. school sports practice part-time job you know, go right from my primary school into university and then work, you know, my, what we call like our undergrad degree, moving into our professional degrees and never really taking a break, never really taking a step back, signing up for every extracurricular that I could, president of this, member of this. And what I realized was that was really just my way of masking my symptoms and just covering it up, just achieve more and you're going to be okay. The more mm-hmm. you do it, it's like you said, I'm going to have this persona of perfection. I can do it all. I can get the grades. I can get the degrees. I can be a member of everything and participate and friend and daughter and mother and wife yeah. and all of it in one. And I think that this experience, you know, I think I definitely had the anxiety in life in general and during pregnancy to kind of teach myself this lesson about being able to let go of control a little bit and also really saying, I know you try really hard to be perfect and never do anything wrong and show that you have it all together. But it was my body's way of saying, you need to ask for help. You need Mm -hmm. to let yourself break down once in a while. That doesn't make you a lesser person. You know, it shows you're actually, you're stronger in your ability to reach out and try to do better for yourself so that you can do better for your child and maybe future children and just your life in general. Yeah. And it, it just made me think that 
like you said, when you're constantly doing and th through the social stuff, through the academic stuff, any any feelings that you might have of of anxiety, you probably just think, oh, it's because I'm busy. Of course, it's because this. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think particularly then when you get pregnant, you're almost you're not necessarily thinking about yourself, but perhaps you're thinking about your unborn baby mm -hmm. and you're thinking, oh, hang on. Yeah, I need to do I need to change something because not necessarily because you're caring about yourself, which is not the right way. Yeah, obviously. And that's why we're trying to. But you're you're it's the first time that you're thinking, oh, I've got to care for someone else. So yes. what do I need to do? Mm -hmm. And it, it sort of sounds like that's almost like the point that you were driven to. Yes, um, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> um, and then so I guess I'm going to talk about what I did my first pregnancy and then we'll talk about how some anxiety has cycled back. I'm actually expecting my third child right now. I'm 24 weeks along. So we can talk about Yay. how anxiety has a little bit cycled back around <laughs> in next, this current pregnancy. But um, that first time, as I mentioned, I was just feeling crippled then with that anxiety. I felt like I was having troubles with the working, definitely couldn't sleep. My husband was starting to notice that I was really having some difficulties kind of like managing life overall. I was kind of breaking down a lot more. So I started just doing some research on the internet, you know, anxiety and pregnancy, um, different ways to help prepare yourself for pregnancy besides a standard hospital-based class. And that was when I did find hypnobirthing classes. Um, I just, at the time, I didn't have any in my local area, or at least not that I could easily find. So I just kind of did an online session, again, through... Um, the Converse School. I know we talked, you had talked to Liz Stanford, the now um, owner of the company. Um, you know, I knew nothing about it then, but it seemed like a perfect fit for me to do a class that was self-paced and um, just was going to finally bring in what I think was missing the whole time in my childbirth preparation was mindset, was mm -hmm. considering my feelings, considering, um, you know, the beliefs I had about birth and the laboring process, how, you know, I had heard just so many negative birth stories that I don't think that was helping, um, you know, whatever they say, uh, misery and company people trying <laughs> to <laughs> share with you. And they're not, I don't think they're trying to necessarily scare you, but basically everyone in my family had, with the exception of my mom, she actually did have um, unmedicated births, more just because of the speed and the lack of access to local hospitals in the rural town I grew up. But my relatives who were a little closer in age to me were like, oh yeah, I mean, you're just going to go into labor and you're just going to go to the hospital and you're immediately going to get the epidural and it's going to be fine. You just won't feel anything. And then, you know, you might tear or you might have problems because you have the epidural or I'm not saying those are things that are going to happen. I'm not knocking an epidural. That's, if that's your path. Then definitely. Yeah. But I was just like, oh my gosh, are you trying to make me feel better? Because this is not, <laughs> you know, really doing it. So I think all those stories were really starting to build up. So I worked through then um, the hypnobirthing classes online. I kind of devoured them in a very short period of time because I was finally like, oh, this is it. It's kind of like therapy for myself. <laughs> it's like things I can do at home. I can journal about some of the problems that I was experiencing um, they provide you with like a lot of hypnobirthing classes. Um, I know the class that I teach, I think 
what you teach as well, Nicola, we offer the um, relaxation tracks for expecting um, parents to be listening to, which I found very helpful um, in combination with um, some positive affirmations. Um, you know, one of my favorites is my surges or my contractions cannot be stronger than me because they are me. That's one of my favorite ones. I used that mm -hmm. one a lot when I went actually into labor, knowing that just kind of reminding myself you know, my body knows what to do. As cliche as it sounds, people tell us all the time, you know, we've been doing this since forever. None of us would be here if we weren't birthing and doing it fairly yeah. successfully. So I think that the hypnobirthing helped me really just get into a mindset where it was okay. My feelings felt validated that I was experiencing anxiety, that I did feel out of control, but then also gave me ways to focus my energy elsewhere and to, oh, I should mention, we also do a lot about breath work. So I also started using a lot of the breath work techniques, especially when I was having, a, you know, an anxiety attack, having a moment where I just felt like I needed to ground myself back down. So I could use those breathing techniques are nice because you can do them at work. And most people don't know you're doing them. <laughs> you can do them out in public and people don't know if you're having a tough time. So I started really practicing that. So I would say that, you know, if you're trying to um, function with your anxiety, you know, pretending it's not there, at least for me, is definitely not the way to go. Um, you know, there is medications available if you feel that you are unable to manage and there is definitely no shame in going that route. Your mental health mm -hmm. is the most important thing. But when you are trying to do a quote, more holistic approach, I guess, with using mindfulness, um, hypnobirthing therapy, things like that, you need to understand that there is a little bit of work on your end too. You can't just read a book or have someone tell you something and then you're like, I'm cured. You have to actually yeah. put in the work to try to shift your own mindset a little bit. Um, so it does take a little bit of time sometimes to get yourself in a pattern. But as soon as you start to see the changes that can occur when you actually put in the time to do the mm -hmm. relaxations, to do the breath work, to do the affirmations, I mean, it's <laughs> it's working. Like, this is worth <laughs> all of the time that I am taking, yeah. all the time that I'm giving to myself. So... Definitely. And I think that's important. Um, you know, people will sign up for a hypnobirthing course and be like, oh, we've done the course. And you're like, no, no, we, we've just given you the tools. You need to now take the tools away and mm -hmm. use them and practice them. Um, but I think most people that are um, interested in hypnobirthing that come along, they are, you know, they want to do something for themselves. You know, they, they want to know how to help themselves. Um and yeah, that's definitely it. And the tools from from hypnobirthing, as you say, you could do them anywhere, anytime. And I found them obviously amazing in birth, but for me also um, postnatally as well. Like mm -hmm. I listened to the tracks just because they took me to that relaxation. They took me to that point, and I would remind myself that this is this is what I need to do to feel okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And some other things that I had found that worked that we they did discuss in the hypnobirthing that I did, but also I just did a little bit more research or in different ways to, you know, it's, I think it's a little bit of a buzzword, but grounding yourself. Um, you know, I found that definitely being in nature for me personally, that, I mean, 
that's kind of the essence of grounding. But like I had, I found that, you know, I was just so much going to work, coming home, you know, driving my car, going into my house, sitting down. And I wasn't really spending the time outside that I did growing up. I did as a child. So I tried to incorporate like a little bit more nature walks, time outdoors with my, with my dog and with my husband. And I noticed that, um, you know, that also can help to just bring you back to, I don't know, a state that I think we're more meant to be in, you know, as even like I said, even as children, I'm not even talking about historically, (laughs) but like even as children, you spend a lot more time in freedom, playing outside, doing things that you love, doing things that you enjoy. So I think Mm -hmm. that's another piece of helping to deal with your anxiety is remembering that, as you were discussing, it's not all about the achievement. It's not all about you can get done in the day. But sometimes doing nothing is doing something. So I definitely also had to learn that lesson with my anxiety. Um, You know, quieting your body by not constantly going kind Mm -hmm. of forces you to quiet your mind or at least begin to listen to the endless thought train that is occurring sometimes, especially if you are suffering from anxiety. I actually was very shocked to find out that people who don't have anxiety don't have thoughts running through their head at every second. (laughs) When (laughs) someone like said something, like I was talking about anxiety and they were like, what are you talking about? Well, why would you be worrying about that all the time? And that was like one of the first time that was in my university. And I was like, wow, that was the first time I really realized that not everyone's brain was operating in that manner. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of really, I guess, what made me think, oh, I, I might, I might have something going on here. You know, I never had thought I had anxiety or any sort of quote mental health or anything like that. I mean, everyone has <laughs> mental health, I think just in different <laughs> scopes and whatever yeah. references, but yeah, that was something that was pretty shocking to me. So I think that's one of my, my early triggers for anxiety now and recognizing it from the onset when I do have that just nonstop flow of thoughts and not usually like happy yay good things are happening like you're not doing good enough why are you lazy Mm -hmm. why are you not doing more you know you let somebody down or remember when you said that thing you know a month and a half ago to somebody you probably hurt their feelings like (laughs) why did you do that and you know just like bringing up things from I can think of something that happened to me when I'm 10 years old if I'm in a full-blown anxiety spiral (laughs) And I'm like, why am I thinking about something I said to some girl in the playground when I was 10 years old? (laughs) Even if it was unkind at the time, there is nothing I can do about that now. So just learning to really recognize the thought pattern that I'm on and then trying to redirect them more positively with, again, breath work, positive affirmations, maybe even a visualization that I might use. I like to go to the ocean. I live on the coast here in the United States. So... I'll think about, you know, being at the beach and listening to the waves and just how relaxing that scene can be to try to, again, ground myself if I'm not able to actually be outside and try to be with nature. Yeah, that sounds lovely. And there's a reason why when you go to spas that they play you music of waves or birds or forest sounds, because like you say, they are the things that relax us and ground us. And I guess as humans, like that's what we've evolved with that's what we that is our probably somewhere in the back of our primal minds that yes <laughs> it is our our home 
for sure. <laughs> yeah, oh no, that sounds lovely. You're so lucky being near the beach as well, having all the, the, the you know, that gorgeous time and like walks at the beach as well must be beautiful and, and, and that grounding on the sand as well. That's really lovely, like barefoot. Yeah. 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 And yeah, I'm, yeah. And I'm in the South kind I'm not all the way to South, but South Carolina is, you know, in the lower half of the United States. So it's also usually not warm enough to maybe be in shorts, but I don't have snow or really cold winters. Like where I live, I, I only moved here within the last four years. I used to live in a very snowy climate. So I'm very, we, I'm very grateful that I live somewhere where I can spend a lot more time outside without being bundled up and many coats and hats and yeah. mittens and all that sorts of things so I think that's also helped my mental health in the last couple of years here it's amazing what the sunshine can do like one sunny day and it's just like oh I feel revived I feel like yeah just to see the sun and everyone's so much happier as well aren't they yeah definitely <laughs> um and then so like I said I had mentioned well I told you that I'd come back then um, to this pregnancy and how anxiety kind of reared its head a little bit. Um, like I said, this is my third pregnancy. During my second pregnancy, um, I was lucky that my anxiety was pretty low. I don't really remember having any issues. I think because of my preparations then with my first birth and a lot of it going to plan. We can talk about how, I guess, a few things actually didn't go so well in my first birth, but um, I was able to overcome some of that stuff, made my second birth a little bit easier for me. Mm -hmm. um, but I really began diving into um, just meditation and a little bit of um, self-development after the birth of my first son. I realized, wow, this mindset piece has helped me so much in pregnancy and labor. This can probably help me in all aspects of my life. So I really started diving in even deeper, doing a lot of more journaling, um, joining some seminars and things where I was learning some different types of techniques, tapping and whatever, a lot of different, <laughs> you can go down a rabbit hole and self-healing and different <laughs> things that you can do. Yeah. Would but, you see um, Prince Harry is a fan of tapping? Did oh, yeah. Did you see that recently? That. I, yeah, mm -hmm, yeah, exactly. So, so I'm not like, a, I'm not doing it like regularly but I have found it can definitely help when you are in a full state of anxiety and panic and it can yeah. help to allow you to feel the feeling and then move on mm -hmm. instead of letting it settle I did notice that I tried it a few times where I feel like these maybe would have been experiences that um, would have resurfaced in my mind and they didn't to me, at least now, who knows, maybe it'll surface its ugly head in five years when I'm having a full-blown panic attack. But as of right now, it's not something that I kept thinking about. Mm -hmm. Like I thought about it in the moment, but I wasn't thinking about it later that day or the next day or the next week. It was almost like I let myself feel the way I needed to feel, quote, needed to feel at the moment and then moved mm -hmm. on. So I think the tapping can definitely be beneficial. But learning about different techniques also taught me that I need to be better with setting some boundaries in my life with work, with mm -hmm. family, with different people that I interact with. I'm again, people pleaser, overachiever. It's gotten better, but I still realize I over explain myself as a coping mechanism. I kind of let people take advantage of me. I don't want to make 
I'm going to sacrifice my own mental health sometimes to protect mm-hmm. somebody else's feelings. And I realized that I was really doing that, especially with some of my family members. So I, I don't know why I chose when I was, you know, 12 weeks pregnant to have one of these conversations with a family member, but I did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it did not go over very well as far as how they responded to me setting my first boundary with them in regards to interaction with my children and also just comments that they had made to me about my pregnancy and basically saying like I wasn't doing enough without actually saying that. So I kind of just finally just reached out and said, I don't blame you for the things that you said or, you know, the way things have transpired over the past five, 10 years other conversations, but I'm letting you know, moving forward, I'm not going to tolerate you speaking to my children in that manner. I'm not Mm going to tolerate you speaking to me in that manner. And if you do, I will call you out on it. I will tell you enough is enough. And I'm just letting you know that I'm kind of just done protecting your feelings to jeopardize my own. Mm -hmm. And that was very empowering for me. I felt after we had the conversation, I felt really good. But then I went into a downward spiral after that. The guilt I felt, because for the first time I wasn't protecting someone else's feelings. They were telling me how terrible I was. I was so mean. You know, I hurt their feelings so bad. Why would I say these things? And just really attacking me. And I understand that that was their coping mechanism, but that was really getting to me. Again, I started going back into not being able to sleep. And I did end up having to seek um, some help of a therapist for about the last month here, where Mm -hmm. I've been just doing some um, cognitive behavioral therapy and just kind of working through those things and just reminding myself that I'm allowed, (laughs) I'm allowed to set boundaries, I'm allowed to protect my own space, that, you know, I am carrying another human right now and I need to maintain my own mental health and I'm I'm a mama bear. I need to protect my kids and if I feel like things aren't going maybe how they should be. So I'm still using my hypnobirthing techniques. Um, Those are definitely helping. I don't have much anxiety as far as the birthing process, pregnancy, like I did in the past, but you know, there's different circumstances coming up now. And I think life is always going to throw us a new lesson to learn. You're Mm -hmm. never 100% healed, I don't believe, from anything that's going on in your life. You might heal one part and move on to the next. That's not to say life's a struggle. I'm not trying to be pessimistic (laughs) about life. Life is still going to be happy and great. And I'm so grateful for all my experiences. But it just is teaching me that you fix one wound of maybe perfectionism and then you move on to the next in regard to not having boundaries Mm -hmm. and just trying to make yourself you know a more well-rounded person and kind of circling back to what we said at the beginning about our maybe our parents and our grandparents generation not accepting mental health as much I feel like this is also a way for me to teach my children that it's okay to seek help it's okay to establish boundaries even though it can be really frustrating when my two and my four-year-old are telling me no about everything that they don't want. <laughs> but I try to encourage that and let them know that, you know, even if I'm still going to keep a boundary with them for safety and things that they need to know, but I try to really tell them, you know, I'm proud of you for telling me what 
makes you feel upset. I'm glad <laughs> that you tell me that you don't like that because I think it's important for them to learn now that it is okay to stand up for yourself. You might, you're not going to get your way. That's not what it's about. It's about letting people know though, how you feel kind of taking responsibility for your own emotions and just try to teaching them a little bit of emotional resilience. So I think that that's kind of maybe my biggest lesson I'm, I'm learning in this whole entire process is how to, when situations do feel completely out of control, I, you know, I can't, I can't affect how someone else is going to respond to me. I can't really control how my birth is going to play out, but I can have the tools. I can't have the resources available to bring myself back to the best emotional state that I can. Yeah. And it's, it's only that when we know better that we can do better. Yes. And, and it sounds like that's exactly what you're sort of instilling in your children. Um, you know, that almost, you know, they need to learn their own lessons. Of course they do, but you're almost sort of saying that it, it's, this is okay. You know, I'm from my experience, this is, I'm now helping you. Um, mm-hmm. And it sounds like you, the experience that you had before, do you think um, after your your recent sort of um, spout of, of anxiety and that led you almost so quickly to, to seek help, do you think that you, from your past experience, it had, um, it had almost made you more aware so that you were like, right, I can nip this in the bud, mm-hmm. we can deal with this now, rather than maybe continuing your whole pregnancy in a heightened state of anxiety? Oh, yes, most definitely. Um, Like, as you said, pretty much as soon as I realized I was struggling again, I just kind of said to my husband, I said, I think, I think I'm going to have to go and see a therapist, I can maybe try to tough this out on my own and work through some of my own things through journaling. But I just think I need that extra support. You know, I Mm -hmm. obviously had been talking at nauseam to my husband about (laughs) some of the my what I was going through and one of my friends, but I just felt like I needed that support of a really neutral person who was kind of going to see both sides of the story. You know, mm-hmm. obviously my husband or my friend is, they try to be unbiased, but they're going to be, they're going to be partial to my side of, of course. The story and my experience. So it wasn't even necessarily to, I guess, justify my feelings, but a therapist sometimes can really just, you know, have you take a step back from the situation, see it from an outside perspective and just kind of view it from a different lens, validate your feelings, but also, you know, have you consider, you know, other parties involved. Again, not that you, you're not responsible really for how someone else feels unless you're like super intentionally cruel to them, but just, you know, understanding like, well, how do you think, you know, that would have made you feel if you were on the, you know, receiving Mm -hmm. end and things you can do on your own, but they just ask some of the right questions sometimes that (laughs) helps really get you thinking. Yeah. So I definitely feel that my past experiences have led me to recognize the symptoms earlier, try to take control and, well, control might not be the right word, but, you know, just try to do something for my situation so that I feel like I'm not spiraling and getting to the state that seems unsafe for me, maybe unsafe for baby. So, mm-hmm. And I do think that is important to, it's almost you know, you say take control, but it's almost, it's just taking that ownership and to feel like you're doing something to help yourself. Um, Particularly with anxiety, I sort of found from my own experience that because it is sort of driven by this sort of the perfectionist, my friend calls it the perfectionist virus, Mm -hmm. you know, this virus that sort of seeps into every part of your, you know, being, um, 
is that you you feel like you need to be doing something. And at least say if you're speaking to a therapist or if you're practicing hypnobirthing um, and listening to your MPCs, you feel like you are doing something which yeah. just can completely level you out, chill you out and just take you from that headspace into a much healthier um, and happier space. Yes. I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So I know that, you know, all of these experiences have kind of, you know, culminated and helped me to recognize patterns a lot earlier. Um, I think being a parent has also helped to enlighten me slightly in <laughs> the lack of control I have in my life, <laughs> especially when you have another human <laughs> who is their own person as much as you are trying to, I know you're trying to teach them. It's not like you're, we're trying to, most of our trying to control our kids to the point where like they need to be somebody that we're trying to tell them to be, but they really remind you every day that <laughs> you're oh, me yeah. and I'm me and yeah. you're not going to really tell me what to do every single day. No. <laughs> yeah. Especially toddlers, toddlers and, yeah. and toddlers don't sugarcoat it. <laughs> no. Yeah. Like I said, I have a two and a half year old, a four and a half year old, and now expecting my third, I have all boys. So this has been a very um, high energy, but amazing experience that I've had with my children. <laughs> and, uh, you know, being a, obviously being a girl, I didn't really grow up a ton with little boys. So I didn't really realize how, how anxiety inducing being <laughs> a parent to any child, but my injury prone children has also, uh, really, yeah. I've always the, seen the worst things that like, oh my gosh, please don't do that. Like you're going to fall, you're going to break your arm. Like they just have no fear. So. No. And it's actually funny with us, given that I'm the one that has had anxiety is, um, I'm slightly my husband's more risk adverse with my little boy than I am. I'm more like, he's going to climb that thing. I'm going to tell him to stop 20 times. He's still going to do it. Just let him do it and make sure that he does it safely. Whereas my husband will be like, Oh no, 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 don't, no, don't. And I'm like, he's going to do it. And it's better that he's doing it while we're watching him. So, but um, yeah, I think that's (laughs) just (laughs) parenting. I know. Exactly. Um, so you, so obviously being with your, your third beginning that with your first pregnancy that things didn't necessarily go to plan or I suppose, was it, mm-hmm. did, did, yeah. did they not go to plan or was it, did they not go to your sort of birthing preferences? How, what happened with that? So, yeah, I can tell you a little bit, we'll do the little bit summarized version, but um, so I went into labor late at night, 11 p.m., and labored at home for probably 12, 13 hours at that point. Surges were really picking up. They were probably about four or five minutes apart by the time I was finally like, okay, like, let's go. Like, so things were like really going. And I got to the hospital um, where I was living. There was a teaching hospital there. So I was assigned, when I got there, I was assigned a obstetrician resident as my doctor. So, you know, they have done all of their formal schooling, but they're still training, obviously, under a licensed medical provider. They have their own license. But, you know, my nurse is very kind. She triages me into a room, tells me the doctor will be in soon. I'm, you know, sitting there waiting patiently, excited, you know, trying to breathe through some of my surges. And all of a sudden, this young woman comes in with this young man. Um, She just says, hi, I'm Dr. So-and-so. She does not tell me who this other 20-something-year-old man is who is in this room. She just comes in, just says she's the doctor, says, 
all right, lay back now, spread your legs. We're going to do a check on you. So right away, I'm feeling like, okay, who is this person that is going to be seeing my entire body right now? You didn't tell me, you didn't ask me if it's okay, if this person can be in the room. I don't even know who they are. Are they a student? Are they, I mean, Mm -hmm. who are they (laughs) at this point? So I'm already like, you know, my fight or flight, my instincts are kicking in. Like, this doesn't seem like a really good experience. So she starts to check me, you know, knowing what I know now, I don't know. I probably would have just <laughs> said no, <Stop. laughs> like stop right now. But, you know, being my nice people pleasing person, I am, I said, okay. And so she starts checking me and the nurse is in there and she's like taking a while. Well, at least feels like a while. And then mm-hmm. she's like, um, I don't know. I don't know, like maybe you're four centimeters, maybe you're four and a half. I don't know. I'm not really sure. And she turns and looks at the nurse and says, why don't you check her instead? And the nurse's face is like appalled. And she's like, you're the doctor. No, I'm not going to double check. Okay. Well, yeah, you're definitely four and a half centimeters. So we'll, we'll just monitor you and see what happens. And so she leaves the room. My contraction stopped completely Mm -hmm. at this point that was it you know so they're having me up to the monitors and they're like well you're clearly not in labor you're not you know nothing's coming up on the monitors or anything and you know obviously looking in that moment I felt kind of panicked I felt really scared but obviously Mm -hmm. looking back I know it's because my body was like this is not a safe place for you to be here (laughs) in any capacity you need to leave here yeah yeah (laughs) so that was just that was just a hard experience. You know, I was like, this is like kind of reinforcing a lot of the fears I had about Mm -hmm. having this baby and not having a medical provider that appeared confident or competent really at this point. (laughs) So sent me home. I knew that they did 12 hour shifts and I had come in probably only about 45 minutes after that doctor was coming on. And I know there was a few other physicians that were in the hospital, but I was like, I'm not going back there. until shift change (laughs) so I like just went back home used all of my relaxations and my breathing techniques I had a birthing ball tried to rest when I could was eating and drinking as I needed at home because most places in the U.S. are still very strict no food no drinks when you're in labor for sure no food if I had been at the hospital they would have not let me have one bite of food the whole time I was there. So it was almost better that I was. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I was almost better that I was at home. So I was able to nourish myself and continue on with my surges. So finally they were getting pretty close. They were three to four minutes apart. And I mean, my husband could tell, like, I couldn't really talk to him anymore. Like, <laughs> was like this is like for real, for real now. Yeah. He's like, we need to go. So we finally went, we went back. I had a much better experience with check-in I had another medical resident a different one but and I actually had the same medical student from the morning that's who I found (laughs) out he was so that was kind of awkward but this time when the resident came in he came in first introduced himself I'm Dr. So-and-so I have a student his name is this he's this far along in his schooling he's interested in learning more about labor and birth. Are you okay if he comes in first part of the procedures and the processes to learn? If not, that's perfectly okay. We can tell him he doesn't need to come in. So, you know, I felt like that was more appropriate bedside manner to like, mm-hmm. let me have this and not with him like staring at me in the face. Cause I think you'd feel kind of bad if you were like 
he's already in the room and you're like, no, you can't come in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, I was nice because I was, you know, having been in medical care, I understand the importance of being able to see things firsthand. He wasn't going to be touching me or doing anything. He was just going to stand in the corner quietly and observe what was going on. So he, I let everyone come in. They checked me. I was already um, six and a half centimeters at that point, almost seven. Um, I labored at the hospital. They had a nice tub there. They won't let you birth in the water, but they had a tub that I was able to um, relax in. So I did that for quite a while. And then I got out and they asked if I wanted to be checked again at this point, because now we're going on, I'm, I'm coming up on 24 hours of labor here from my first onset at home to me being now. And I was just kind of sitting around like seven, seven and a half. And my waters had still not broken at this point. Um, you know, membranes are fully intact. So they just suggested to me, they said, there's no pressure. If you're interested, we can consider, you know, artificially rupturing the membranes, see if that gets things moving along or not. I thought about it for probably another 30 minutes and I was just getting so tired and I knew I didn't want to get to a point of like um, induction with synthetic oxytocin. So I said, okay, let's try that. Um, let the doctors artificially rupture my membranes. And within 40 minutes, I was holding my baby. <laughs> I, you know, that was just like, I think the the pressure on the cervix that I needed to cause the remainder of the dilation, the water sac was just so full that we just weren't getting that full pressure and you know the uterus wasn't able to contract in that capacity so in the the actual uh, full obstetrician came in at the end uh, her and the medical resident literally stood at the end of the bed while I was you know going through transition and going into the pushing phase she said nothing he said nothing they were like at the end I guess they were kind of talking I don't know you're in a zone when you're <laughs> actually in labor but you know, they were like, you didn't even need us here. You listened to your body. You knew when to push. You knew what you were doing. They're like, this is a very impressive birth. They said, you didn't need coaching. And so I think that made me feel good, whether they truly meant it or not. It really made me feel empowered about my birthing experience. Mm -hmm. So I think it helped to kind of erase the negative part I had at the beginning. I mean, not completely, but so I think that experience and just feeling so empowered, feeling like I kind of birthed on my own with the medical team nearby, but no one was there trying to be up in my business. No one was mm -hmm. trying to tell me how hard to push. No one was telling me when to push or anything like that. It just made me feel like basically like superwoman when I <laughs> had him. So yeah. I, that, I think that experience, knowing how good that felt, that rush of hormones you get after having your baby is like, unlike any high I feel like you could ever get from any sort of a drug or anything I mean I just that seems like I don't know how you can replicate that oxytocin surge and just that love for your baby and just being like wow I I just did that like I just had a baby yeah yeah <laughs> so I think that really helped my mental health that really also made me um realize that I can make some decisions in healthcare too you know I know they kind of told me to leave but I felt it was my decision to wait to mm -hmm. come back when a new medical provider was there that, you know, it was my decision to have my membranes ruptured. You know, it felt like things were on my terms, even though they were suggestions from the providers. So I know we talk a lot about that in our hypnobirthing. It's not necessarily about, did you do everything exactly how you wanted it to go? But did you have a choice? Mm -hmm. Were you consulted? 
did you feel like you were the final decision maker? And I think that's what made that birth so special for me. Definitely. That sounds amazing. And it's, you know, you did, they said that you, you did, you didn't need any help and you didn't because your body knew, like you said, when you first went into that room and you know, you had that sounds like pretty unprofessional um, female doctor, your body was like, Nope, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. And so you listened to your body, went home, did what you need to do. And then came back when you were in a much safer, happier, you know, capable space to, to have your baby. And exactly like you say with hypnobirthing I really love you know I I like to reiterate the fact that it's about having a choice and using your voice and knowing that it's not anti-medical you know hypnobirthing Mm -hmm. isn't like like you said earlier if you want to have an epidural that's your choice completely like do it but likewise if you don't you know feel empowered to say this isn't the route I want to go down this isn't for me um and yeah it is completely about owning it and um you were a goddess i think anyone that births a baby however they birth exactly (laughs) they are bloody goddesses so yeah (laughs) completely yeah oh thank you for sharing that thank you so how are you feeling now going into this your your third pregnancy um obviously now being a hypnobirthing instructor having had two births already under your belt um are you feeling like i've got this i'm feeling a lot more confident in my body's ability. Um, this will be my first birth that's not at a hospital. Um, I There is not much support for home births here in my state. We have some state-specific rules as far as what a midwife is allowed to do legally under her license as far as supporting at home. Um, there's very limited support for um, home births in my area. It's so much different than when I talk to yeah. a lot of women in the UK, a lot of my fellow instructors from hypnobirthing are UK based or in other countries. Um, We're not as open to that here in the United States, unfortunately, but I am choosing to um, birth at a freestanding birth center, um, specifically with midwives, with these beautiful rooms that overlook a park, um, with walking trails outside, with star-like constellation patterns on the ceilings, um, big, huge birthing tubs, big showers, a very homey type atmosphere. Um, Pending how COVID is looking by September, my children are allowed to come. Um, You know, if it wasn't COVID time, they let your family, if that's something that you're interested Mm -hmm. in. They're just very inclusive. They're all about kind of just letting you birth on your own. this is the only first practice that I've heard of that this is, like I said, as I know about a lot more about what other countries do, this just seems crazy to me, but I'm actually going to have the mid, they let me, they're going to let me discharge within 12 hours if nothing's wrong with the baby. And the midwife is going to come to my house and do a checkup for me the next day. And at one week, usually you have a baby and they go, we'll see you in six weeks. Bye. And you don't have a single follow-up with a doctor and nurse, a midwife, nobody in the United States. Your baby has a bazillion appointments where they'll say, oh, are you okay? Is your mental health okay? At the pediatrician's office. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, that'll be so nice to have someone come to my house two times in the first week and make sure that me and baby are okay, that you know I don't need any additional resources or additional support. So I'm just really excited about how this third birth is going to transpire, I think. It has the potential to be my most empowering birth yet. I mean, my other births were great, but 
not trying to get my hopes up too much. Anything can happen in birth, but just more the environment that I think I've been looking for the whole entire time. Yeah. So I'm feeling very confident and excited. That sounds amazing. And I've got I've got like goosebumps for you because A, I can see in your face and I can hear in your voice just like how passionate and how you know, special that will be for you, especially having two other children and having them to be involved in a part of the experience. But I just can't believe it. Like, I feel like we need a whole other chat to talk about the the differences in birthing in the States v birthing in the UK. Like, I just, like the fact that they said you can't eat for starters, like, hello. Uh, yeah. You know, un- unless, fair enough, maybe you're having a cesarean or something and, you, you know, you need anaesthetic or whatever. But Oh, yeah. And the fact that they wouldn't let you birth in the, in the, in the pool. I mean, like I said, I'm going to stop because yeah, it's, it's, we can it's, definitely, if you have a, a time <laughs> when you want to discuss birth differences and things, it's not to bash our system or anything. No, really. I think it would be really eye opening um, for audiences who are not birthing in the United States to hear a lot about the differences. You know, I didn't, until I started working with a lot of hypnobirthing instructors who were in other countries, I didn't realize that it was so drastically different and how a lot of the UK instructors feel like they're very restricted in what they have available. And I want to be like, you have no idea how bad it could really be. (laughs) And that's exactly how I feel. And, and some of the things that you said, you know, about the midwife led unit and that being, unique and one-off and I'm sort of feeling like I'm pretty sure I've bitched in the past about our services which are you know predominantly community midwife led and you've got multiple choices and I feel like a bit of a spoiled brat really (laughs) 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 so they don't know you don't know you're born is an expression like you don't like yeah oh my god well yeah well I really 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 hope and pray that you get the birth that you so want and deserve with this third it sounds like you know a, a, a transition and a journey to this point um mm-hmm. and it, it sounds magical um so is there anything that you you wish that you knew um the first time round that you knew now that you know now sorry um I wish I knew that I can say no mm-hmm. that I can say no to my care provider and not in a I don't know, disrespectful manner, but that I can say no and ask questions, that I can question what they're telling me, that they are humans too. And I know that I won't say none because you can never say none, but hardly any doctor is ever going to do something that they think is going to harm you, Mm -hmm. but they might not always be doing something that is necessarily in your very best interest. Sometimes Mm -hmm. they have five other births going on simultaneously in the hospital that they're at. And they just need you to be a client that's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, they're not trying to hurt you. They're just being like, we just need to get this baby out. We need to just move on. And so just knowing that you can say, I don't want a cervical check. I don't, I could have said I didn't want my membrane ruptured that night. But for me, that felt right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, letting them know what your birth preferences are. My team luckily was very great both the times I said I do not want you to say the word pain to me I do not want you to ask me if I'm in pain I do not want you to offer me anything for pain do not talk about an epidural do not talk about any sort of a pain med if me and my husband decide that he will come to you and tell you and they were all very respectful and they listened to that 
Um, I, like I said, I kind of knew that, but that's something I would definitely tell other moms. Like mm -hmm, mm -hmm. if your care team is not even willing to honor some of the requests you have that aren't even that, you're not asking for something crazy here, <laughs> just yeah. asking them to shift their language. And then that could be, you know, kind of a red flag that you might need to ask for somebody else. Um, I also feel like, um, I guess things that I've learned just being not afraid to ask for help, as I said, mm -hmm. you know, seeking help a lot sooner this first time around than I had in the past, not waiting till the end, not waiting till third trimester and being like, oh my gosh, I'm freaking out. I really need the help. So don't act like you need to be superwoman. Don't act like you need to have it all together. It's okay to ask people to help you and support you in any way that you see fit. If you're ordering takeout for the fifth time this week, then I guess you're ordering takeout for the fifth time this week because you're just too tired. Like, don't judge yourself. None of us are the perfect image that we put out on Instagram, Facebook, whatever social media platform that you use. Mm -hmm. So just remember that we're all on our own journey. We're all struggling a little bit. It might not be the same, but you're not alone. It's going to be okay. <laughs> Reach out for help if you need it. And yeah, that's kind of how I feel. Definitely. And I think that is key. Um, and the reason why I wanted to do this, this podcast per se, but also this specific, um, you know, the mental, the maternal mental health awareness is so that people know that they're not alone. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like you said, that we've all got our experiences um, and would have experienced them completely different, differently. Yeah. Like we all have our own births and they all have been completely different. But, you know, it still doesn't take away from the fact that, you know, if you are, suffering that you know in be it um with sort of the physical symptoms of anxiety or the mental symptoms that there isn't someone that can help you or someone that can talk to you or you know and sort of just be there for you um mm -hmm. so you, you sharing your story um I think will really resonate and help so many people um you know the fact that you've been there the fact that you know you this is your third pregnancy you and you you, you still have had those experiences but mm -hmm. that you knew to reach out and you knew yeah. who to get help from um and you knew what you needed to do for you for your own mental health and, and for your baby so I think that's such a powerful message and I'm just so grateful for you for coming on and sharing and talking um and just to sort of you know, making it okay, uh, you know, and I, it is, is a bit cliched, but that it is okay to not be okay. And it is okay to, to get help. Um, and I think especially as mums and birthing persons, we feel we've, we've got to have it all sorted, but who does? Yeah. <laughs> 100%. And yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time to have this discussion and um, just sharing our ideas and our concerns. And yes, if I can even have helped one person or connected with one person to feel a little bit more confident or knowing that they're not alone, then I think we did our job here today. And yeah, just thank you so much. Um, I can looking forward to continuing to listen along with your podcast as it grows. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. If you feel that you may be suffering with any or all of the symptoms discussed in today's podcast, please reach out to your GP, your health visitor, Pandas Charity at pandas.co.uk or feel free to send me a message and I will do my best to signpost you to someone who can help. Please do not suffer in silence. You are not alone.
for listening to Little Love Hearts, the podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. If you would like to find out more about hypnobirthing, baby massage or baby yoga, you can find me on Instagram at Little Love Hearts, on Facebook, Little Love Hearts, and online at my website, www.littlelovehearts.co.uk. Thank you.